Hard to believe we are at the end of our journey of the book of James. This is a wonderful time we've had, at least I've had, I hope you have as well, as we've been walking through word by word the book of James since the beginning of the summer, and as summer has come to an end, so is our study in our sermon series, Putting Feet to Our Faith. We've said for weeks now, as we've walked through James, that James is the show-me book. James says, if you have faith, you're going to show me in your works. And uh, as we get to the final portion of our study in James together this week, we're going to be looking at pass, the passage in James five thirteen through 20, and the title of our passage here and our message here is The Prayers of the Righteous. The Prayers of the Righteous. A perfect song just sang to lead us into this study here this afternoon. And I want to start off with something to think about, and I want you to really stop and think about these words. Do you believe your prayers actually make a difference in this world? Do you believe that your prayers actually make a difference in this world? In other words, let me ask it this way. Would you pray differently or actually begin praying for the first time in your life if you knew your prayers were being heard and used of God in a powerful way to change the world? Something to think about. You know, I thought about this the other day. I don't know if you know this, but you can take this to the bank. I don't care who you are. You don't have to be a Christian to believe this. Human beings are hardwired to pursue the reward of happiness. You cannot not pursue happiness. Since the day that you're born and you come out of your mother's womb and you're seeking food and you're seeking comfort and warmth, you are seeking something that you think is going to bless you with a greater happiness than you have without it. And your entire life is this pursuit. And it's not a bad thing. God has wired you that way. Let me offer you this quote that proves my point. The, uh, the late great philosopher Blaise Pascal once said this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire for both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Every single thing that you do is pursuing the reward of happiness. In fact, I would go so far as to say that every one of you is in the room here today for a very specific reason. You're pursuing something. Okay, now here's maybe a couple of the reasons why you might be here. For those who are mature in their Christian faith, you may be here today because you're pursuing the pure joy of just worshiping God corporately in a covenant relationship. Some of you are here because you are pursuing the desire to be blessed by God. Some of you are here because of the goal of raising your children in a Christian home. And some of us, if we're being honest, okay, we're going to be anything with each other. We need to be honest. Some of us in this room are in this room right now because we're attempting to ease the conscience of guilt. We're living in sin and we think by being in God's house it will somehow ease our burdens when we know we're not living the way God has called us to live. So everyone who's in this room right now is pursuing something in the way of happiness. So if prayer is a way for us to seek the reward of happiness in a relationship with God, why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? Do we doubt in the power of our prayers? 
All right? Here are some reasons why I think we doubt the power of prayer. Okay? We have never seen God act in a powerful way, some of us. We know we're living in sin, and we know God may not listen to us with the lifestyle that we're living. We think that maybe we're not as spiritually gifted as some of those prayer warriors that we know in our lives. I don't know what the, what the reason may be, but if we're pursuing happiness and the rewards that come with a life well-lived, we know that prayer, we read about it all the time in the Scriptures, that prayer is the key that unlocks the gate to us having this amazing relationship with God, and yet we all struggle to pray. We all struggle with it. How do we know our prayers make a difference? How do we know our prayers have power? Well, we're going to be walking through this passage today, and I think there's three ways we can know as we approach God that our prayers will be heard and that they will have power. If we are righteous according to God, and and that righteousness can be broken down in three ways. Number one, that we've been saved and we're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Two, that we're not living in unrepentant sin. God will not listen to us when we refuse to repent. And then three, when we seek God in faith. If you're a believer, you've confessed your sin, and you're pursuing God in faith, you can rest assured that your prayers are going to be heard, and they're going to make a difference in this world and in the kingdom of God. Do we really believe that? And if we do, what are our prayers going to look like? Well, I'm glad you asked, because James has a pretty bold answer. Here's what I want us to get. Here's the big idea as we look through the final portion of the book of James in chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. God hears the prayers of the righteous, and they have the power to change eternity. I believe it. That's why Jody was just singing, pray on and keep praying until the victory is won. Pray on. Prayers change everything. Everything. And I want to walk through this passage and look at three characteristics of the prayers of the righteous. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you. It'll be on page 1201 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time in the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Again, James chapter 5, all the way to the end of the book, verses 13 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as is its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the day that you have made, made, and we just pray that you help us to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we thank you as you've walked with us through this journey in the book of James, and as we get to the end of this book, we see this this four-letter word, pray. 
Father, I, I just I, I beg you to help us open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth of this message and that we could respond to it by being more fervent in our prayers to you, knowing that you do hear us if you have declared us righteous through the blood of your son. Be with us now. Help us to understand in a greater way this gift of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it is fitting as I was studying the passage here that James, as he comes to the end of the book, and we've been walking through this for, I think, 18 weeks, so we've gotten a tone for what James is trying to say. He's saying, faith without works is dead. And yet we get to the end of the book, and it makes perfect sense that the last thing he'd talk about is prayer. Because if faith without works is dead, you're called to work for the Lord, yet without prayer, your works are useless. You'll never accomplish what God has called you to accomplish without His grace. And the vessel in which God chooses to give His grace is prayer. In fact, well, I've used this definition several times behind the pulpit. I think it's the single best definition I've ever heard for grace. The late Christian philosopher Dallas Willard said this, Grace is God working on my behalf to accomplish what I cannot accomplish on my own. Let me say that again. Grace is God working on my behalf to accomplish what I cannot accomplish on my own. How do we receive that grace? How do we see God use that grace in our lives? In one word, prayer. So James is saying, faith without works is dead. If you do have faith, I'm going to see it in your works. And by the way, if you want to have works that make a difference in the kingdom, you better pray before you work. (laughs) You better pray before you work. So if God answers the prayers of the righteous... What in the world do those prayers look like? Don't you wish you could be a fly on the wall in some of the greatest moments in the history of the Christian church and see how prayer has changed the course of eternity? Well, we're going to be a fly on the wall today, and we're going to look at three specific aspects, and the first of those three is this. Number one, the prayers of the righteous are persistent. Listen to these words. Look down at your text here, verses 13 through 14, and keep those Bibles open. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, there's one passage of Scripture that echoes in my heart. Every time I look down at this passage, I think of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing ceasing pray about everything at all times now what does that look like when i when i first became a christian i thought does this mean i'm not supposed to have a job am i supposed to go in a room somewhere for 12 hours and just pray and pray and pray and pray no god is not necessarily concerned with the position of the body he's concerned with the position of the heart and i don't know if you've practiced this in your life but you can have a prayer life that does last all day long even while you're working In fact, uh, Dallas Willard, who I quoted moments ago uh, in one of the last messages he gave before his death, he was a a philosophy professor at USC and just a tremendous man of God. He said, my goal in life is to have my quiet time last all day. Now, when he says that, what he means is not necessarily people leave him alone. He can read the Bible for 12 hours. What he's saying is that presence of God that he enjoys when he gets to his prayer closet, he wants that to last all day long. And it happens by staying in prayer and petitioning God and thanking God and asking God and begging God through every single circumstance of daily life. 
In fact, uh, James uses a couple of specific examples. The first thing he says is suffering. When we suffer or someone we love suffers, we, we pray and ask God to bring them strength. I'm going to be honest with you. I go to a lot of hospital visits. It's part of my calling. We've had quite a few surgeries in this church in the past year. And when I go, I'm not paying lip service to God. I'm being serious for every single person who I hold hands with as I stand over their bed before they go into the operating room. I want God to bless them. I want God to heal them. I want the doctors to have two things, wisdom of mind and skill of hand, and I pray those things specifically every single time I go to the hospital because I believe God hears those prayers. Now, He will answer them according to His will, but He tells us if we have not because we've asked not. So I'm going to ask God, heal this person. Strengthen this person, please. Not only through suffering, but also joy. All right, let us, let us sing songs of praise. Let us praise him for the things that he's done. I think sometimes this is harder for us than prayers and suffering. It's easy to pray when the clouds roll in. It's hard to pray when the sunshine is out. Because when the sun's out, we stare more at the sun than we do think about God. We think about ourselves probably more than we think about God because we think we have something to do with the sunshine and we don't. But we're called to pray and praise him in times of joy. I, I still get bothered by this memory. Maybe seven or eight years ago, I was in a non-denominational church not too far from here, and I was in a meeting with a pastor and the youth pastor, and in the middle of the meeting, I said, can I give a praise report? And they laughed at me, and they said, what generation are you from? Those pra- praise report is something they did back in the 60s. Now, I, I, I'm not saying this church is not a church that uh, gave thanks for all that God did, but that term praise report just sounded outdated to them. Well, call me outdated. But I think God blesses a praise report. I believe God is worthy of praise. And I believe we also experience the joy of giving Him the praise. I think the saddest day in the life of an atheist is when something happens and they've got nobody to thank for it. It's a sad day for an atheist. But we have someone we can thank. And it blesses us to thank Him. And it blesses Him when we do give Him the thanks and praise that is worthy of his name. So we pray in times of, of joy, but also in times of sickness. You know how I try and pray when I know someone's sick? I try to pray for them in a way that I would want them to pray for me if I was sick. I mean, I, we, we laugh about this now, but um, I won't even mention his name. There's a brother in our church who was one of many brothers who's gone through kidney stones recently, and I felt his pain in the hospital room. Like it was a male version of giving birth, and I just I felt the burden of that. God, please heal this man, please. I beg you. I felt that pain almost like I was experiencing it myself, and I prayed for him the way I would want him to pray for me. In all situations, whether suffering, whether joy, whether sickness, James is saying the righteous are persistent in their prayer. Now, I want to draw your attention to one specific portion of this passage, and this is something I hope we can practice in this church more often. It says um, in verse 14, if, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I want to give you a testimony. I've experienced this one time, and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen God do in my life. The first month I was dating Ashley, I know you remember this, uh, 
I was called to preach at Nunez Baptist Church just down the road a ways. And I called Ashley. She was coming to pick me up. I said, baby, get me some Pepto-Bismol on your way. I, was, I could not stand up straight. I was so sick. And I, I, was, I was sipping on the Pepto-Bismol, and we're driving, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, I, I know you called me to preach. I'm not going to call this little church an hour before service and say I can't preach. I'm not going to do that. And have the music minister look up and say, uh, uh, does anybody have a testimony? I'm not, I'm not going to put him in that position, right? So I get to the church, and I, I told the chairman of the deacons that I, I didn't feel well, and I, I would sat on the front row. In fact, during the, the song service, I tried to stand up once, and the, the chairman's saying, sit down, just sit down. I, I mean, I literally could not stand up. And the music stopped, and the chairman of the deacons called the other deacons. I, I suppose they're much like our church. They didn't have elders, so their deacons kind of served the dual role. And the deacons came forward. And they pulled out this anointing oil and they anointed my head and prayed over me that God would remove the sickness. Now, here's what happened. Did my body go instantaneously into full strength? Absolutely not. I sat down on the pew and I was still as sick as I'd ever been until I stood behind the pulpit. I got behind the pulpit. I opened the Bible and as clear as day, I still remember, it felt like there was a blanket wrapped around my stomach that was so tight I couldn't breathe. And when I opened up the Bible, it was like the blanket was unraveled and I felt a strength and a presence that I've only felt maybe three or four times in my life. Those men were simply following Scripture. There's nothing magical about that oil. They were called to anoint my head with oil and pray over me and their prayers were heard and I preached for for 35 minutes and then I felt good enough that I could have gone out to lunch that day when I couldn't even stand up straight a half hour before I'd never experienced anything like it the power of prayer the power of prayer and maybe that's a big prayer but can I tell you the thousands of little prayers that have blessed my heart um I didn't get Ashley's permission for this so you can yell at me later but um you know, I think in a marriage, when there's t- thousands of little prayers, that's what holds a marriage together. And I remember one time a couple of years ago, I was having just an awful day. And she knows when I'm not having a good day, and I know when she's not having a good day. Uh, and I just remember being in the car with her, and I was so angry, and the, and the, and the window went down. You remember this? And we were in a drive-thru, and the window wouldn't go back up again. So my anger turned to annoyance. I was looking at the window, and I was just, I was just so angry. And I was almost about ready to put my foot through the door. I was so angry. And I almost reared back like I was just going to let the door have it. And I felt this peace come over me. And I stopped. And then I put my finger on it, and the window just went up. And I looked over, and my wife was crying. And she said, oh, how I've been praying that God would help you. Just that little prayer. It sounds stupid, right? Not only did that prayer open, uh, save our window, it saved the door, and it probably saved her sanity because I was about to go crazy. How many of those little prayers in our lives, how many of those little prayers have kept a marriage together? How many of those prayers in almost 60 years of our church being here have kept our church together, have watched the people in this church grow, have watched people come down the aisle and give their faith, give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith? How many of those little prayers, fervent prayers of the righteous, pray about everything in times of joy, in times of suffering, in times of pain, in times of sickness, the righteous will pray and they will pray and they will pray. Listen to these scriptures. 
I'm going to run through them fast. If you're a note taker, come see me afterwards. I'll get you whichever you missed. First Chronicles 16.11. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his praise continually. Psalm 119, 147-49. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. I pray that verse before I pray for this church every time I pray. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. All these, I mean, this is Paul and John and Peter. They're saying, pray, pray, pray. Why do we do anything without praying? And I'm confessing to you, I'm an ordained minister called to preach and teach the gospel. And how many things do I do in a given week without praying? I'm embarrassed to admit it. Prayer is everything. And again, number one, the prayers of the righteous are persistent. Number two, the prayers of the righteous are powerful. Look back at verses 15 through 18. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as, it, as is, is it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The righteous have prayers that are powerful because they're heard and they're answered in a way that only God could answer them. Three years and six months, not a drop of rain because a man of God bowed before his Lord and begged him not to send it. And and as we talk about that, there's a, you know you're not going to sneak this past me. All right, sneaking the word confession past me is like trying to sneak the sun past the rooster. It ain't going to happen. All right, if there's one word that I've been passionate about since the week I was called to be the pastor of this church, that word is confession. Confession. I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life, whether in this community or other communities, who tell me that there are prayer warriors. I'm praying for you. I've been praying for this. Every morning I pray for you. And some of them do, and and I'm so grateful for all their prayers. But let me say this. If confession is not a legitimate part of every day that you pray, you are wasting your time with God because God will not hear the prayers of the unrepentant. He just won't. 
The number one way in which we grow in communion with God is through confession, admitting that he's holy, acknowledging that we're not, and begging him for his grace and mercy to help us to be a little bit more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. When people tell me that they're in prayer, man, I've just been confessing, that's when I perk up. All right, obviously the first however many weeks I was here, I preached that series on confession. I've added it to our worship service. I know there are some in here who probably don't much care for the time of silence, but I do. I don't want to stand behind this pulpit and preach until I've genuinely confessed where I've messed up this week. And guess what? I'm never at a loss for words in that department, ever. I could make a list right now of things that I didn't do or things that I did do that I shouldn't have done, thoughts that I had that were not honoring words that were not pure. I want to be more like Jesus, but I know the the gap's still pretty wide. I'm not Jesus yet, and neither are any of you. We're not going to be. We're moving in that direction. That big word is called sanctification. God's cleansing us, and he's making us more like Jesus, but that's a lifetime. And until Jesus comes back or we go to be with him and we're in the sinful flesh that God's putting to death through the Holy Spirit, we're called to confess our sins. And this is what I love about this passage. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We do do confess our sins to God. And by the way, I would disagree with our Catholic friends. We do not need an intercessor to do that because Jesus Christ is our intercessor. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. So you don't need another person to confess to God. But it says that God is not only blessed when you confess to him, but when you confess to each other. Can I just be real for a second? Do you have a friend in your life that you can be a fool with? Here's what I mean by that. I have about three men. I can think of at least three, maybe five, and there's definitely more men that think I'm a fool, but there's at least three men in my life that I can go to on a weekly basis and confess to the point of embarrassment about things that I'm wrestling with in my life. And I know they're not going to judge me. They're going to take it to the Lord as I take it to them. You need people like that in your life. A man or a woman that you can confide in and just confess some of the darkest secrets of your life. Because here's the key. As long as your shame is in darkness... It has power from Satan. When your shame is brought to the light, Satan doesn't have power over it anymore. There's nothing he can do with it. Once you've confessed it and put it out there, God wants to begin the healing process. And so James is saying, not only do we confess to God, confess to each other. Find those accountability partners and take it to them in prayer. Man, there are are men in this room and men in this world who know the darkest secrets of my life. And I'm glad they do because I need to be forgiven and I need to be held accountable. Now, before we move on to our final point, I I want to make one distinction here, and this is painful. And I'm going to be honest, this touches right here. There's There's a part right here in the beginning in verse 15 that says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Does that mean that every time we pray, for God to heal someone that he heals according to our prayers. No. And hear me very clearly, because there are denominations out there that teach that prayer is a formula. And if you pray certain words in a certain way, you can be guaranteed that God is going to answer your prayer every single time. And I'm here to tell you that is not biblical. There's nothing you could ever do to put God in your debt. 
God never owes us anything. What prayer is, is a gift that we can commune with Him and also that we can participate in His work. Now, I don't care where you stand on the whole scale of the sovereignty and predestination issue. Okay, I know there's a thousand opinions on that. But even if you are O-line, hard shell, primitive Baptist, you believe that everything is predestined, even then... God does not bring those things to fruition except through the prayers of his people. There's no way getting around it. There are things that would not have happened had people not prayed. Prayer changes things. And God calls us to pray. But there are times that we pray and we don't get the answer that we're seeking. And I've heard often that God's answers for prayer are either yes or my grace is sufficient. Was there anybody holier than Paul? And yet there was a thorn in his flesh that God would not remove despite his many prayers. I've had many people in this church and in this community who I've prayed that God would spare for more years of life, and yet God saw fit to call them home. I'll give you two examples that are near to my heart. There's only one day in my life that I actually met Ricky Sykes. That was the day when Larry Guido decided that we were going to have a prayer service. I'm sure you remember this, Brother Larry. And we did this in in the Guido's. And I, I mean, every man of God in a 50-mile radius circled him, and we anointed his head with oil, just like it says in James. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and God answered the prayer, but he just didn't answer it the way we wanted him to. He called him home. He healed him on the other side. And then I, I remember, this is when I fell in love with this church, by the way. I remember Geneva Gibbs. I remember being in that house with Robin and Joey, and I I just remember person after person praying, and I remember her laying there so peacefully and begging God, God, please heal her, please heal her, please heal her. And I remember how angry I was when this woman went up to Robin and said, now, if you just have enough faith, you just have to walk away. As long as you have faith, she'll be healed. If you don't have faith, she won't be healed. You cannot manipulate God. God is sovereign. His will will not be manipulated. You cannot put Him in your debt. However... There's, there's time after time in the scriptures where God does answer prayer according to his will in ways that he would not have answered had we not prayed. So do not for a second think that your prayers don't make a difference in this kingdom because for the righteous, they do. Prayers change everything. So pray about everything. Don't stop praying. God answers prayers. He just does it in ways that we can't understand. Our prayers come in our time. God's answers come in his time. And the ultimate example of this, by the way, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. All right, In his humanity, Jesus cried out, If there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way, God, for the people to be saved and for the elect to come to salvation without me having to take the cross, I don't want to do it. God, please. I don't think Jesus was just saying that to say it. In his humanity, Jesus legitimately did not want to take the cross in that moment. But what were the next words? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. He did pray. And if Jesus could not change the mind of the Father, then we know that when God has a will, and his will is better than the prayers that we're asking for, we need to pray according to his will that if his will is not for our prayer to be answered, that it won't be. I remember a a pastor said recently, if God answered a lot of prayers, there'd be a lot of men married to Farrah Fawcett. Right? True statement, right? 
God knows better than we do. God knows much better than we do. We trust in God, but we also don't ever think. If there's one thing to take from this passage as we close up James, don't think your prayers don't make a difference because they do. They do. God listens to the righteous, and the prayers make all the difference. Man, I'm so far behind on my notes at this point. I may just throw this up in the air. I knew this was going to happen today because this is a passionate topic for me. Let me just share one story, and we'll pray. This story has meant so much to me over the years. Maybe you've heard of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist that lived in the late 1800s, and he founded Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. Let me tell you a story about D.L. Moody. So D.L. Moody uh, decided one time, right after the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871, he decided to get away for a while. So he went to England. And little did he know there was a, an old lady, she was an invalid, and she was praying that God would send him to England to pray and bring about a revival. So here's what happened. He shows up in England, not knowing he was going to preach. He went there to sit under some scholars and take some time off from the, all the conflict of, of Chicago. And as he was there, they asked him to preach a morning service. So he went in this small church in London, and he started preaching. Nothing happened. In fact, he said in his biography that he didn't, ex- he didn't experience much at all. He didn't feel like the Spirit of God was in the room. Nothing really happened. So at lunch, a woman from that church went home to her sister, who was this elderly invalid woman who had prayed for D.L. Moody to come. And the lady said, why didn't you tell me that D.L. Moody was at our church? I had no idea. And she said, well, he's going to preach tonight. She said, well, then she pushed away the plate at the table and said, feed me no other food. I'm going to, the, to my room, and I'm going to pray for the next few hours and fast and beg God to speak through him that a revival may take place in London, England. So D.L. shows up that night and begins to preach. And the time comes for the invitation, and 80% of the church comes forward. He said more than 400 people walked the aisle. And the first time they walked the aisle, he said, man, they didn't understand what I was saying. Hey, and he pulled them to a separate room, and he said, no, 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 you didn't hear what I was saying. Let me, let, me, let me explain to you the gospel. I don't think you understand the ramifications here. And, and they all said, no, 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 we heard you. We, and and he, again, he posed the question five or six different ways, and they said, no, D.L., we heard you. In England, they probably said, it was quite extraordinary. <laughs> right? And they gave their life to Jesus. And all because of this woman who behind the scenes was fasting and praying. And here's the key. History will remember great D.L. Moody as a great evangelist. History won't remember the little old ladies that are in dark rooms, lifting them up in prayer. Would you promise me that you won't think that prayers for the super righteous and the super spiritual? Prayers for the children of God. And they make a difference in eternity. They make a difference in eternity. I didn't even get to the third point. Third point is that the prayers of the righteous are persuasive. But let me just close all up by saying this. The prayers of the righteous have the power to change eternity only because of faith in Jesus Christ who holds eternity in his hands. Again, the prayers of the righteous have the power to change eternity only because of faith in Jesus Christ who holds eternity in his hands. That's the reason why our prayers are so powerful, not because we're super spiritual, but because God sees us as he sees his son if we're covered in his blood and have faith in him. 
So as we enter into a time of invitation, let me just say this. Do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? Do you realize that you need to be saved? And if you are a Christian and you've heard of this gift of prayer, are you using this gift? Are you petitioning him by the hour for all your needs? Are you giving him praise? Are you, are you, are you seeking God's face in prayer intentionally every day? This is a time as we sing and pray, that you would come forward if you want to pray alone or I'd be happy to pray with you. This is a time to make things right with God. Prayer is a gift. It's to be exercised. It's to be enjoyed. And it's to be used to change His kingdom forever. I pray that we would pray and be known as a church of prayer. Let us pray together. Father, uh, we love you so much and And yet all of us in this room, Father, all of us would admit we could pray more. We could be more fervent in our prayers. And if we are prayer warriors, we could certainly confess more, asking for you to bless us, asking for you to forgive us and strengthen us. Father, I I, I beg you, make us a church on fire for prayer, on fire for confession. Let us see the work that you're doing behind the scenes. Let us get that taste of the changes that you're making in the kingdom because of the prayers of those behind closed doors, Father. Help us to pray more. Help us to be more fervent in trusting you and in seeking your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.